Jesus for who he is, and that is eternal and alive. And so we will gather together as a church. All right, steps off soapbox, gets into the word. Luke chapter 2. You know, I, I think perhaps you're like me, and there's a, an occasion, sometimes it's known, sometimes it's surprising, where you need to have your perspective on something adjusted. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, just me. That's great. Cool. Well, I'll be preaching to myself today, and I welcome you to join into things that God's doing in me. Sometimes I need my perspective adjusted, and I came across this story of a young man coming home from university, and I thought this would be a helpful way for us to think about perspectives being adjusted. He, he writes his mom and dad and says this, Dear mom and dad, while away at university this semester, I'm sorry that I haven't been in touch with you, but a number of things have happened, I thought, to let you know. Number one, my apartment burned to the ground. In seeking to rescue a few things from it, I I broke my leg and ended up in hospital. And while I was in the hospital, I met a wonderful nurse. She and I were married Saturday afternoon. (laughs) My friends assure me that despite the fact that she is 20 years older than me and doesn't speak the English language, it will not be an inhibition for our relationship in any way. Because we are so in love. Mom and Dad, everything you've read is untrue. So don't worry. But I did fail my exams quite badly. And since I wanted you to be able to get this in some kind of perspective, I've written the letter as is. You know, like this letter to Mom and Dad, our passage today in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, calls us to shift our perspective. It's a perspective-shifting message for me and for you. And so with that in mind, let's read Luke 2, beginning in verse 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. The angels come in and make a rather dramatic announcement, and you really can't tell the Christmas story without getting to the angels at some point, and so we spent a little bit of time on them last week, so I don't want to necessarily re-preach those points They are online if you need to, but I do love when certain things come up throughout the week that either relates to something that I just preached or or has something to do with what I'll be preaching this week. And and this week, John Stenberger sent me this article from the Babylon Bee, which is, of course, fake news that you can trust. Rookie angel forgets to shout, fear not. Dayline Israel, rookie angel, uh, angel Raphael, which I guess was one of the Ninja Turtles, I'm not sure. Unleashed total panic after forgetting to shout, fear not, 
upon showing himself to a group of Israelites. Now, I'll let you read the entirety of the article on your own. It's hilarious. But I thought the closing line is great. At publishing time, Raphael has reportedly been entered into remedial talking to humans without unleashing utter hysteria classes. Fear not. We are encountering something so majestic and holy and eternal, it's difficult for us to wrap our finite minds around the infinite redemptive plan that we are encountering in Luke chapter 2. That's what we're doing. We're, We're encountering the infinite in this moment. And it can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around it. So rather than focusing on the angels themselves, let's let's talk a little bit about what the content of their message was. The angel told these shepherds who it was that had been growing in Mary's womb. He's announcing the birth of the Savior. He's the one that is now wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. And if we take the three names that are mentioned in verse 11 separately, we understand that the angel describes the baby's job description. He says that he's a savior. Last week we looked at him as the redeemer, the rescuer, the the one who has come to pay the price that we could not pay, to redeem us in a way that we could not accomplish on our own. He is the savior. He is Christ or the Messiah. He is God's promised one. The one that had been promised for centuries before. Recorded for us in the Old Testament. The one that all of the Old Testament looks to. He is Christ. The Messiah. That's his title. And lastly, the angel reveals the baby's identity. He is the Lord. He is the one who is superior in authority. He is the one who has a status like no other. This would be similar in language to master. But that word Lord is actually making quite a staggering claim. This angel coming and saying, this is the Lord. It's saying, it's using the same word that Greek-speaking Jews would have used to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. He is the Lord. It's this personal name of God. He's, He's showing up on the scene. He's showing up on the scene as one who has been introducing himself in this personal and close way for centuries to the Israelite people. Now, God is not God's name any more than pastor is not, is not my name. My name is Christopher. If I owe you money or you need something from me. My friends call me Chris. See, God's name is Yahweh. It's the name that was given for those who are close to him. It's the name that he says, those who are my people call me this. And the angel says, the Lord has come. Imagine this moment. Imagine this moment as the shepherds receive this news. They're encountering something infinite, and in the midst of this night, they, with their finite minds, are trying to wrap their head around it. It's not uncommon at this time of year to see in the headlines things about uh, wealthy business people or companies doing these wonderful philanthropic and serving works. And you look at those things that happen and you think, well, that's, that's good. That's great. What a humble thing for them to do. What a, a wonderful thing to be a blessing for someone else to do. And it is a blessing. It is right for us to look at it that way. But this is what the angels are saying. They're not 
they're not making this splash in the headlines. They're saying that the God who made you, the one who created that strand of DNA that only recently have we begun to understand, the God who woke you up this morning, the one who has sustained your life this, thus far, this God in the person of Jesus has stepped into time and is making himself directly accessible to you and to me. Staggering news, isn't it? Alistair Begg would say it this way, on the first Christmas night, and this is the heart of the Christmas story and the heart of the Christian faith, God took on flesh. The voice that made the cosmos could be heard crying in the cradle. The hands that placed each star in its place grabbed hold of Mary's fingers. Her son was fully human and fully God. In this man, divinity met humanity. And here's where we come across a a wonderful and miraculous truth of our faith in the virgin birth of the Son of God. See, Luke wants us to see immediately that Jesus is a real human being. He is born of a woman with a body and a personality that go through the development process just like all of us. We see this in Luke 2.52. But Luke also wants us to see something beyond that just physical thing that's happening. See, last week we saw where Luke in, one, in chapter 1 verse 76 says that John may be the prophet of the Most High, but here he says Jesus is the Son of the Most High. Just as the angel revealed to Mary in Luke one thirty-two, Luke wants us to see not only his physical form, but his divinity as well. Last week we learned that John's birth to a, a barren or childless couple is shocking for that age. But Jesus' birth from a virgin as the result of the Holy Spirit's power, as it says in Luke one thirty-five, is a miracle unprecedented throughout all of Scripture. Because that has been saved specifically for him. It's been saved as something that wouldn't happen in any other age, in any other way. That God would himself be coming to us. And this Savior's supernatural birth becomes actually the foundation for all of our Christian belief concerning the Savior. That he is fully God and fully man. I mean, if you think about what we've been studying throughout Advent and in this Christmas season in the the sermon series we've been in, the Songs of Christmas, we've seen that through Mary's song, we learn what God is like. Through Zechariah's song, we understand that we need God to be rescued from our sin. And today, through the angel's song, we see that through Jesus, our Savior is born as a baby. And the angels bring with them a song of peace. Now our Advent reflections rightly reflected on the fruit of joy in the, in, the, in the life of a believer when we think about the angel's message. But I want to focus on a different aspect, that comfort and that peace that comes through this Savior. You see, peace with God doesn't exist naturally, does it? It's not something we can kind of create on our own. Men for centuries and millennia have tried, and it's not something that they can accomplish on their own. As a matter of fact, so many Christmas specials and songs really try to fit that idea into this neatly packaged with a bow kind of message at this time of year that peace with God is possible through you. And it's just not true. 
So perhaps today we do need to get things in perspective, don't we? Perhaps you're like me. When I look at the world around me, I don't see peace. Now, it would be easy for me to talk about headlines here, but even just driving in this morning, my sense was I'm going to make it a little bit more personal. So please forgive if this is a bit unpolished. It's not intended to be uncouth, but can I bring you into my house just for a second? Peace. Sounds wonderful. It's a difficult reality, though, isn't it? I can't create peace in my own house, let alone with God. I've got two boys that are both in college, so I believe one of them still has an assignment due by the end of the day for finals in college. I have another that got on the plane this morning, and he's actually in the air right now headed to California. So when I look at my calendar and I look at my family, I don't see peace. My daughter's heading into finals in high school this week. My house is not peaceful from a calendar standpoint or academically right now. You may think, well, yeah, but I mean, like, that's not the only way that you have peace. Okay, well, let's look at another one. Finances. Got to put a car in the shop this week. Merry Christmas, everybody. The repair came in just under the conversation that Stephanie and I had had about if it's this number, we're going to have to look for a different vehicle. If it's this number, we will consider making that repair. And guess where it landed? You know, because used car shopping and having to make decisions about vehicles at Christmas time, peace on earth. Last night I was taking a walk, and it was quiet, and it was that, it was that weird Florida cold Good, you get it. And it was quiet until the sound of a siren up the road pierced the night. Peace was broken. Maybe you're like me. Sure, your calendar, your financial things, or or the, the things that just kind of break through to distract you from a peaceful moment are different. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. I would love to think that there's peace amongst my family. I, I, I fear as a dad that week that we're closed as, as a church because I'll be home with my family, which is a really great time for me to be a jerk as a dad. And I, I want there to, or to swing the pendulum totally the other way where it's like I'm just the fun dad that my wife is like, stop doing that. Like, don't just be the fun dad, and don't be a jerk. Like, be here. (laughs) Now you know how to pray for me. But I think the laughter exposes, we all experience that, don't we? Peace on earth is difficult. Peace with God in and of ourselves is impossible. One is difficult, the other is impossible. But it's important for us to grasp the concept of peace with God because that is what's at the center of the angel's announcement this morning. When we read the Bible, we we discover in passages like Romans chapter 1 that while God loves us at the same time, His wrath is revealed from heaven against the wickedness and ungodliness of men. And when we take that phrase wickedness and ungodliness, I think we can kind of identify with, yes, I think that's the slurry that I live in the middle of. Let alone that that's sometimes the slurry of things that come out of my own heart. 
And so last week we looked at sin, and this week we we realized that through Romans 1 there's this wickedness and ungodliness. There are vile things that continue while sin does not reign, it does remain. And we live in the midst of that slurry that God's wrath is revealed against. And this is where we see that Scripture actually gives us helpful categories, not just to define the world around us in this season, not just to look at things and think like, look, Scripture told me this word, and so now everything's fine with what I see. No, what it reveals is, this is what's actually going on. You can't legislate the hearts of men. The UN can't put some referendum in place that legislates the hearts of men. Because they, I can't do that even for myself. Consider how James puts what goes on in our hearts. Not just in the world around us, but inside each one of us gathered here today. James 1.14 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I love this quote by D.A. Carson to help us continue to adjust our perspective this morning. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin. Our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Let me be clear about this. The shepherds, you and I today, we can't go from great fear to great joy without encountering a wonderful and great and good news. You can't go from great fear to great joy without discovering good news. And there's this contrast that we see in the middle of this passage today with this sentimental holiday appeal that says, just give peace a chance or let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. You see, when it comes to my relationship with God, a chance won't do. I need something far more sure than that. I'm not promised tomorrow, I'm promised eternity and I need something far more sure than my ability to give something a chance. And stick to it. I need something far more sure. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say it this way. Our entire life is Advent. A time of waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. To see peace on earth and and goodwill among people. But peace with God is not natural for us. And I can't bring it about with my own efforts. So the angel's song helps us to understand this truth. Jesus came to make peace with God sure. And he brings us into that peace perfectly through no effort of of mine. He makes peace with God secure. Not my efforts. Not my ability to usher that in. And then we see the shepherds respond. Look at verse 15 with me. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, the shepherds, they get a, kind of an interesting place in the Christmas story, don't they? I mean, Abel was a shepherd all the way back in Genesis. Shepherds have been around forever. They've been around for a long time. Shepherds have, have kind of been on the scene, but then, then they kind of get marginalized, don't they? They get kind of be the outcasts. And then somehow they get an angelic visitation with this good news that helps transition them from fear to joy because they become the first Christians on this night. They become the first Christians because they receive the good news is what verses 15 and 16. They, they receive this good news and with their simple faith they just say, okay, we've heard this good news, now let's go and do what they told us to do. They say, let's go and act on this. What a simple faith they have. They don't, they don't sing a song like Mary. They don't need a star. They're not like the wise men that we see in Matthew chapter 2 that kind of lose their way. They get right there. And so you know what? This Christmas, I would rather be like the shepherd in simple faith than the wise man that knows all these things and still somehow can't find my way to the Savior. Not only do they become the first Christians with this Christmas good news, they become the first preachers of the gospel. Verses 17 and 18 tell us they recounted all that they had seen and heard. They weren't just the first to hear, they were the first to tell as well. Acts 4.20 says this, is that we cannot but speak the things which, which we have seen and heard. What is the message that you are telling others this Christmas season? Is it the good news that we have received? Or is it your own unique brand of chaos? We can learn a lot from the shepherds in the simplicity of their faith. In their receiving and their revealing of this good news and recounting it to others. But we also learn from Mary. We learn from Mary as she engages her memory. She kept all of these things. She remembers them. She stores them away. She engages her intellect. She ponders them. She just kind of rolls them over in her mind. She's just thinking about it. She engaged her affections. Where did she store them? She stored them in her heart. They became this deeply rooted treasure that became part of the motivation for who she would be, what, what it is that she would do with her life. So she engages her, her memory, her intellect, her affections. What is it that God is calling you to engage today for his glory? Is it something where you need to, to continue to invest in that rich deposit of what God has given us, where he has entrusted us with the good news of the gospel? 
Is it something that you need to learn how to ponder and to meditate on more than the things that your mind lets tumble through it on the regular? Is it the way that you are going to engage your affections where you realize that you have become stoic in your own faith, where you know a lot of things, but it doesn't move you in any way in this season? What is it that God is calling you to learn from Mary in this season? But lastly this morning, let's look at this. The shepherds rejoiced. Here we have this declaration that happens. They rejoiced at the good news that had come to them. Oh, they had seen and they had heard. And so what is their response? Their response is to rejoice through reverent worship, glorifying and praising God. And then they returned to their ordinary days. You know, this week, many of us will return to ordinary days. There's an extraordinary amount of things that we try to cram in around those ordinary days, but many of us still have jobs to go to this week. Many of us still have things that must get done at work to get ready for year end. And so we have all of these kind of competing affections, don't we? We have all of these competing priorities and these things that seem overwhelming in the moment. And when we hear this, there's this like, yes, I I want to receive of this peace, but you don't know what it is that I face on Tuesdays. And you know what? That's true. I don't know what it is that you face on Tuesday, but God does. And he actually says that there's something glorious and extraordinary about what you and I count as ordinary moments. There can be something that engages our affections and our intellect and our memory in those moments that actually brings him great glory because the shepherds did announce this good news. They did go and simply obey. And they did rejoice in this with singing and worship. And then what, did they, what else did they do? They went back to their ordinary days. You can bring the glory of God to the ordinary moments in the commonplace of life. Many of us will face that. You may even have on Christmas Day times where you will go and be with family and it will be exhausting and exhilarating all at the same time somehow. You just think, I'm glad we don't do that more often, but it was so wonderful. So I kind of wish we did this more often. Those few hours together will be exhilarating and exhausting and, and I think that there's something wonderful about that But there's also something wonderful about taking those moments into the ordinary days as well. Now many of us have favorite Christmas songs. Songs that will get us into the holiday spirit like no others. And others we could go a lifetime without hearing again. Now CCLI, the the music licensing that we do use here at the church, ranks the Christmas carol Angels We Have Heard on High as the fifth most popular Christmas song. And commenting on this carol, the modern hymn writer Keith Getty says this, What must it have been like for the shepherds to witness a sky full of worshiping angels 2,000 years ago? Oh, it must have been incredible. With this carol, we are invited to join in with their worship and to add volume to the heavenly sound as we declare the birth of our King. A great Christian life or a great sermon or a great song have a way of showing Christ to be so vast and so glorious that our response can only be to humble ourselves, to bow down on bended knee and to acknowledge and be in awe of the greatness of God. 
He goes on to say, I think this carol enables us to do so really well. See, as the angels gather in the night sky, they proclaim glory to God in the highest heaven and on peace on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's where the song's memorable refrain comes from. In the line, glory to God in the highest heaven, translated into Latin, the original language of this carol, becomes gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And it's sung with that prolonged O of Gloria. But it captures something of the joy and the reverence of heaven in that moment. Now some Bible translations use the phrase, on whom his favor rests. Others use the phrase, with whom, with whom he is pleased. Perhaps you're more familiar with the King James Version, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I think the KJV misses something in that one. And as a church, I want to call us not to forget this critical aspect of the angels rejoicing. And that's God's pleasure and his favor through Jesus Christ toward you and me today. See, we have to acknowledge that the only way for a sinner, one who is unholy, to be in the presence of the holy and pleasing even to the holy God is to be clothed in the garments of salvation. Dressed in the perfect, God-pleasing righteousness of Jesus Christ. The one and only Son in whom God declares He is well pleased. So this morning, church, would you stand with me? And as you stand, let's sing together. And in so doing, we know that we simply join with the song that is already happening. Because consistently throughout Scripture, what we see that the angels are singing around the throne is this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. So today, church...